It's time for WAKR's This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton, your home for copiers, printers, and supplies. This week we're exploring the topic of AI, artificial intelligence, in more depth with Dr. Susan Ramlow, who's a professor at the University of Akron, known for her work in physics and scientific research using Q methodology. Because she's done so much research on the future of computing, I thought she'd be a good person to talk to about a fascinating new study I read about recently in the MIT Technology Review. It shows that different generative AI machine learning tools made by different companies have different political biases. ChatGPT, for example, exhibits a more left-wing, libertarian point of view, while Meta's Llama was more right-wing, authoritarian. Well, that seemed like a pretty big deal to me, especially because when you go to search for things online, it's not like you really expect your results to be served up to you with any kind of political agenda. Except, in the case of these new generative AI, they are, at least according to this new study done by researchers at the University of Washington and Carnegie Mellon here in the United States, along with a major university in China. But while that study's conclusion is provocative, it really is just a piece of the puzzle when it comes to what we could or should make of these new AI tools that are becoming increasingly popular. If we can't really rely on the accuracy and objectivity of the answers they provide, then how can we make reasonable judgments about what's true and what's false in a world where alternative facts have somehow made it into our collective consciousness as a thing, and simply asserting the veracity of a statement, at least to some people, is as good as it actually being true? So when I contacted Professor Ramlow to talk about it, I was delighted to hear that she's actually preparing to do a lecture on artificial intelligence and that she's been giving a lot of thought lately to whether or not it's actually reliable, especially after seeing a new documentary on Netflix called Coded Bias. A researcher at MIT uncovered all these flaws in the algorithms used for facial recognition technology, which it's just another form of artificial intelligence. And what they ended up finding out was that this facial recognition technology was way better on light-skinned people. So white people, it was better on men, but it had all kinds of issues with identifying black faces. So in, I think it's the UK, They do a lot of this facial recognition to find criminals, wanted people, and had a tendency to wrongly identify people of color. And a lot of it had to do with the algorithms that they used in the data, which, as you said when you emailed me, you know, it's that garbage in, garbage out thing. So what you get is as good as what you put into it. And so there's inherent biases, in part because these algorithms are made by people and people are inherently subjective because we make decisions and judgments and algorithms makes it sound like it's very objective because it's this process that we've defined to maybe gather information from the internet or other sources and then input it in to this kind of conversational style of like chat GPT, but 
depending on the source of the information. It could be great. It could be full of really good information. And it could be full of good sounding, but totally bogus information as well. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. I knew that about the problems with regard to the facial recognition, I had heard that before. And that really is an issue for people of color getting wrongly accused of a crime. That's very bad. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me, though, that what you say, the root problem of it was the algorithm, because what I had kind of just assumed was the root problem was the sensors they were using. Like if it was in a low light situation, it might be easier to pick up the features on a light-skinned person. And I thought, well, maybe it's because of the hardware that they used in the camera, as opposed to what you're talking about is the software that's then interpreting those images. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Yeah, it has to do with the data they used. I mean, if you think about it, it's a little bit like, I'm not sure how much of it has changed, but like the original breast cancer research was done with men. They were all what? men. Why? Oh yeah, all the all the original breast cancer research was all done on men because because the researchers who tended to be white males decided that women who had menstrual cycles make, that would just screw up their research and white men don't have these cycles actually they do but that's a whole different story and but they're different and so yeah so this is a little bit like this coded bias idea is that most of the data they used and the algorithms, like how they analyze features was based on white men initially. And so it's that same problem. So by narrowing what information you're taking in through these algorithms, right? So algorithms are making decisions, but based on this information, that was used to code the algorithms. And so it's that same idea. It, it's also a little bit like um, early heart attack research also tended to be white men. And then it wasn't until more or less recently we found out that the characteristics of female heart attacks are different than men. Who would have thought it? <laughs> right, right. Well, that was interesting to me because there was this recent study that they talked about that the different AI, I think that when when we think mm -hmm. now about artificial intelligence, at least I do, I generally think of it in the aggregate, right? There is a thing, it's called AI, it works like this, right? Mm -hmm. But then when I read this recent article, it said, well, there's different AI. There's the one that's made by Google and there's the one that's made by Microsoft and then there's ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. And- they all seem to to have a different take on politics, which I thought, well, that's weird. How is that possible? It's the same technology. And it's all being trained on stuff that it finds on the Internet and et cetera, et cetera. But what I read was the one that was trained more on books tended to have one perspective and the one that was trained more on just the general kind of as I think of it, all the garbage that's on the internet, it had a totally different viewpoint. And recognizing that this is so, how can people in general feel confident 
using these kinds of search engines if they're all different and they all have a different point of view? It'd be like talking to random people on the street. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is. Or, you know, watching Fox News versus CNN gives you a different take on what's happening because it's cycled through people and people are subjective. <laughs> We're not objective beings. So I've been using ChatGPT a little bit for my research. And one of the things I have found is that it's really good for finding terms than to maybe look at an academic database to find actual sources. And in fact, I'm not sure about the others. I've been mostly using ChatGPT, but they have disclaimers. They have disclaimers when you sign up. They have disclaimers that just pop up when you put in your prompt. And it tells you that you should do your own research. You should verify, for instance, their resources and citations, because that's one of the things that I recommend is don't just ask chat GPT questions, ask for citations, and then you can verify if those citations are real. Some of them aren't. I recently published an article with one of my former grad students about females and strength training, which it tends to be male dominated. And when I was looking up some background information, I was like, I'll use chat GPT. So I put in there something about men versus women and strength training, you know, looking for research. I always put provide citations. So what came out sounded good. But then the first time I did it, one of the citations was authored by somebody whose last name was Muscle. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. Strength training and your last name is Muscle. Well, then you can regenerate the output, right? So you just hit a little button that says regenerate and it gave some new information. But now there was a citation by somebody whose last name was, and I could not have made this up, drink a lot of water. Can you believe it? The citation by somebody whose last name was Muscle and the citation by somebody whose last name was Drink a Lot of Water, they don't exist. They're just made up. And I don't really understand how it ends up making up things. That part, I'm not really sure. It, It must have something to do with the algorithm. But so my suggestion has been for people who've talked to me about using AI and ChatGPT is it's a great resource for kind of a beginning. If you're unfamiliar with a certain topic, you want to look at, I don't know, um, organizational theory, right? You might go into ChatGPT and put in, discuss organizational theory within the context of institutions of higher education, including faculty, provide citations. The best part is it will break it down usually into topic areas. So now you're unfamiliar with organizational theory. Now you know that there's principal agent theory and there's some other theories that now you can look up some of those resources. And when I did that, all the citations that I got were real. I usually verify them by putting them into a DOI classifier. It's just a web page where you can get the DOI information. For people that don't know what that is, what is DOI? Oh, it's it's the digital, I don't remember what the O is, but it identifier. So if you put in this identifier, just this DOI.org number, it would bring you directly to that article in a journal. 
And so that's how I usually initially check to see if they're real. If they have a DOI number, they're probably real. I can go up and I can just click on the DOI number and get direct access. If there's not a DOI number, chances are it's made up. Again, how ChatGPT ends up making up these citations, I'm not really sure why. It seems to be from playing around with it, that it has a tendency to make up citations when things are maybe more political or more, you know, about gender, things that might be more controversial, opposed to things that probably there's not a lot of debate about. It's just kind of interesting. I mean, I've, my research area is Q methodology, as we've talked about before. And so when I first started playing around, I put in describe Q methodology, provide citations. And the citations that it chooses, and it's pretty consistent, I can regenerate over and over again. But it's such a narrow selection. And it's, it's probably not necessarily like if somebody contacted me and wanted to know about Q methodology, the citations ChatGPT provides aren't the ones I would have suggested. But for some reason, they're the ones that are picked up by the algorithm. So again, it's the limitation. I think that generally people got so excited about AI, they started thinking about data from Star Trek or the iRobot books or so many things from science fiction. But in reality, all AI does is take existing information and present it to you in this conversational form. So it's kind of like advanced Wikipedia. But why you would look up something that's really controversial, like something political, for instance, or something about abortion, I could see how you could get really divergent information depending on the source of the machine learning, how they got that information into their system using algorithms. The sources of their information would impact what chat GPT would tell you. And the reason this was so interesting and, and I think is important as we are in the run-up to the next presidential election, for example, is that people like you who do research for a living, you actually know how to check citations. I mean, I wouldn't know how to do that. I mean, you just told me. You go yeah. to this thing called the DOI. It's like I never heard of that. Because before right. you told me there was a source for that, I was thinking, well, if it gave me fake citations, then I would have to mosey on down to the actual library and actually go through. Mm -hmm. I don't even think they even have the old Dewey Decimal System cards anymore, but I would have to right. I would actually have to go to the stacks of books and look it up myself. See, so you just told me there is an online place to go that isn't connected to necessarily what this AI is going through. But I at least have a little bit of education in that area, but not enough to have figured out what you told me, right? So if I'm just your regular guy on the street and I'm looking up something about the upcoming election and I'm trying to figure out who to vote for, I already know that let's say CNN might be biased one way, Fox mm -hmm. might be biased another way, but I'm just looking up your random stuff on the internet. I want to know what's the next step in the case against Donald Trump or what's the next step in what's going on with Hunter Biden or how has Joe Biden's policies actually played out as opposed to the way he told us they were going to. When I look things up in Google, I expect them to lay out a bunch of links. And then I just go to those. 
But lately right. when I've been on Google, instead of giving me links, usually I just get like a narrative at the top and then the links are way down on the bottom. And I couldn't really figure out, well, why are they doing that? And then I realized, oh, okay, it's because it's powered by this AI. Well, most people aren't going to get past that. Right. I mean, at least I was curious enough to go, well, I don't know. I don't want that. I want the actual links. I want to be able to look myself. But I don't think everybody's going to do that. Well, exactly. And and part of that is just that Google has changed their interface so that when you do a search, it shows you this little caption at the top that gives you this kind of summary. And a lot of times, like if you click on that or a link like somewhere nearby, you'll find out that that comes from some website like Wikipedia. But you bring up a great point. Usually what happens is people Google things and they click on the first couple of links that come up. But in reality, you should really dig down a little deeper just because something's the first, right? It, it has to do with search engine optimization. So sometimes something like maybe Wikipedia might have better search engine optimization than a journal or some other resource. So it it always pays to dig a little deeper. But when it comes to AI and like chat GPT, and I'm sure the other ones as well, they'll tell you that basically their database only goes back to 2021. So if you wanted to go to chat GPT and ask about the current standing of Joe Biden's policy decisions, it would tell you that it can't do it. And it literally will tell you my information only goes back to 2021. So it is really limited. And I think part of that limitation has to do with just the harvesting of information from whatever sources the AI is using. So it's a, just another limitation. I think that part of the problem is that even like Google, like you have to understand what the limitations are, why something's come up first, why... Sometimes, you know, you have to click on those next links to see what else you might be able to find. But I mean, if you think about it, it's a little bit like what we learned in high school about writing a term paper and looking up information and secondary sources versus primary sources. In the end, that part hasn't changed. The technology has changed, you know, no more card catalogs and all of that great stuff. No more looking through microfiche to look at journal articles, which is what I did like in graduate school. But the basis of how we make decisions about the quality of the information we're getting comes back to what we learned back in high school about primary and secondary sources. So I think that that's one of the most important things people need to remember, whether they're Googling or using ChatGPT or, or whatever resource they're using to find information. There's so much information out there now that it's so easy to find stuff that is completely bogus, but it'll sound good. And if it matches your thinking ahead of time before you wanted to find more information, chances are you'll lean towards that because it matches what you already believe. And so that makes finding information easy, yet way more difficult because we really have to be cognizant of what the source is, whether it's a quality source. So there's all kinds of ways to look at that. There's something called the CRAP test. It's another acronym, which means I'm not good at it. But you know, credentials, you know, if there's a date, if it's a government or educational resource, 
opposed to .com. There's lots of ways to figure out if what you're getting is quality information or just information that has some kind of really deep inherent bias to it. So, I mean, it makes it difficult and, and having phones in our pockets means that we can access information so easily that I think that we forget about the part where we shouldn't just accept it because it's on the internet. That's one of the things that I actually tell my students in my software applications class. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean that it's true or that it's real. And that's kind of coming back to AI, just because you put a prompt in chat GPT and ask for citations, it doesn't mean that what it provided is true or accurate or reliable. Doesn't mean that the citations are real because they could be by Dr. Drink a lot of water. <laughs> so it, it, we just, we really have to be on our game. And I think that a lot of times that's that's really overwhelming for people because it's hard. It's hard to judge whether or not the information you're finding is real. Well, sure. And and when you're relying on information, particularly at times of high stress and you need the information, you're not really going to, you don't have the time. And mm -hmm. like I said, even for somebody like me who understands a little bit about research, even I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of it. And honestly, most of the time you don't need to. To me though, when I'm looking at how this technology has been rolled out by these big companies, and this might be my bias, but I don't think that they should have rolled it out when it had the possibility of just making stuff up. Because, I mean, we knew that from the very beginning. It's I think they called them hallucinations when these AI just come up with stuff. And it's like, well, and it's no more reliable than if you asked your grandpa, what do you think? And he just came up with something. You know what right. I mean? But you aren't going to your crazy granddad mm -hmm. for critical information. Right. Or sitting, talking to Joe at the bar about right. what he thinks, you know, <laughs> over a beer. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. And part of the basis of this problem is that all of the Internet all of this technology is unregulated. And because it's unregulated, there's really no oversight. So you might see something on Twitter, but now it's up decision makers at Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, to decide whether or not that should remain on their system. And even though some government entity could come in and say, you know, you should take that down. It's got fake data in it or it's not true. It's something about anti-vaccination or something. They could say that to Twitter X, but doesn't mean they have to take it down because there's no regulation. And I think that that was one of the big mistakes from basically the inception of the internet is that we let it just kind of go at its own pace and expand, but we didn't target bad operators. So we all get spam. We all get all those crazy emails from some king in Ethiopia, like all of those things that exist. And at least currently, there's no regulation. And so people who generate AI and things like chat GPT, they can offer it. And there's no regulation to make sure that the information they provide is, as you said, not a hallucination. <laughs> it's not, it's not an article by drink a lot of water and his co-author, Dr. Muscle. 
So you said you were going to do a talk on this sometime soon on this. Was it going to be specifically on misinformation generated by artificial intelligence or was it something else? It's related to that. So it's more related to the idea of inquiry. So looking for information, maybe collecting data, doing some interpretations. So basically mind on, right, kind of decision making versus algorithm. So having some process that is just kind of like a cookbook process to make decisions. In a lot of ways, that's the difference between maybe a scientific paper that you would find even on Google Scholar versus something that you just found on the internet Googling for about something about, I don't know, some medication. So that's kind of part of the idea is that we can do research, right? But ChatGPT with its algorithms is only, I think of it as only a starting point. I actually used ChatGPT to come up with statements for a different study. And that was very interesting. And I also, I still ask for citations just because that's now what I've decided I'll just always do in ChatGPT. And, and again, I had some really... <laughs> really weird citations and and sometimes they're really old and you know so they're really out of date so they're real i think it's going to create a big problem because too many people including college and high school students will think that they can use chat gpt to write their 500 word essay on something and maybe yes and maybe no. A friend of mine who was a high school teacher until this May told me that she had some colleagues who were so worried about chat GPT that when they would have their description of what the assignment was to write about, they would put in really small font, something like mention purple unicorns in your response so that when they got the student's paper, they could just search for purple unicorn. And if it was in there, they knew that chat GPT wrote it for them. Oh, and okay. They didn't even, and they, and that they didn't even read it. They just put it in chat GPT, write a 500 word essay, copied what the instructions were and just pasted it in there. Didn't even look. And so got purple unicorn wow. somewhere in there. So it's interesting. It sounds like to me that what you're trying to teach people is how to think for themselves right? Yes. And to do research that is outside of the box. Because really, when I think of the internet, generally, I think of something that allows me to break outside of the box of my own little mind, right? And I can right. search the world for information that I didn't have before. But when you add this artificial intelligence overlay on it, what you're getting is what's inside that box. And That's right. it seems like that has narrowed the field in a way that it makes it more conversational and maybe more fun for people to use. But it right. sounds like it's limiting their choices to a certain degree, right? Or right. am I wrong on that? No, no, you're exactly right. Because what you're going to get out is whatever it put into its system. So it might have very limited citations on a topic. Those are just the ones based on the algorithms that got into their database of information. And so those are the only ones you're going to get. And if you want to know more, you can go to maybe Google Scholar or at the University of Akron. I was just talking to a friend of mine about this. People who don't work at or go to school at the University of Akron 
can actually sign up for, it's like a public library card. I'm not sure exactly how it works now, but that allows you to gain access to databases that are at the library. You might have to go to the library in order to access them, Bierce Library, but that's a really valuable resource. And a lot of, like ClevNet, like a lot of local public libraries are in a system now where you can also access certain databases and information. So a lot of those sources are much more high quality. There are electronic journals. There's sometimes that you have to pay, but there are open source research articles from journals that because they're open access, you can read them even if you don't have access through a library. So a lot of it has to do with just finding good resources to begin with. Right. And chat GPT can be a great starting point. But like you said, you, we still need to think we're not at the point where data is going to tell us what kind of creature this is. And we're just not there. Yeah, I guess for the average person who isn't doing a research paper and they're just making their way through the world, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate and what to think about things. The reason why I wanted to talk to you is it just sounded to me like that this is adding a layer of complexity and confusion perhaps at a time when it's really important for people to think clearly and to be able to kind of, if at all possible, break out of their own little tribal box and try to see more of the big picture. Because we've got some really big issues going on right now that if you just look at it through this one little lens, you're going to miss the big picture. I think that's exactly right. A hundred percent. Because now so much information is digitized, it's so easy to find information that we have to be just really awake and paying really close attention to what the source of that information is. So again, that's why I like to put in my chat GPT, provide citations, because it gives me another place to go, verify what they've said, maybe look at some of the citations that are in those, right? And sometimes they're books, sometimes there are books that are accessible online. There's older articles you can get through JSTOR, which is J-S-T-O-R, which is basically a really big archival place that you can't necessarily download a PDF, but you can read information. So there's a lot of sources of quality information. It's just so imperative to be really careful about our source of information. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks for taking time with me today. Uh, I appreciate the time you spent with me and I'm, and I'm really thrilled that you actually have been thinking about this and, and could kind of explain it in a way that probably people would understand. And definitely if I see something by Joe drinks a lot, I'm going to know. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to know it's bogus. <laughs> I know that was the best. They were like one of those things where you look at it and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that can't be real. I don't even have to verify that one. That was Dr. Susan Ramlow, who's a professor at the University of Akron, known for her work in physics and scientific research using Q methodology. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. It's time for WAKR's This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton, your home for copiers, printers, and supplies.